a very warm welcome to the seventh episode of the Educo Community Podcast. I am your host, Colin Robertson. So no matter how much you learn from this podcast, none of that matters unless you use that information to make a meaningful difference in your life. Educo Community has partnered with some renowned researchers, scientists, and thought leaders to develop programs for you to put their expertise into action. I've learned so much from collaborating and speaking with these experts, and this podcast came about because I know you can do that too. Today, I'm talking again with Scott Geller, the expert behind Set Smart's Goals. Scott sent me uh, one of his latest books called Life Lessons from Psychological Science. It's all about how to use psychological science to improve your own life, improve the lives of the people that you work with, and improve the lives of those in your community. In our conversation, we talk about his book, we talk about the principles behind that book, we talk about how to be more empathetic with others, how to lead others, and how to create the type of community relationships with police officers and with each other that we really should. I had a blast talking with him, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. All right, I am talking today with Scott Geller, the expert behind Set Smart's Goals. Scott, how are you doing today? Doing fine, Colin. That's great. So I recently read your book, Life Lessons from Psychological Science. I would just love to know more about, uh, you know, what, how you came up with the book in the first place and where the inspiration came from. Well, you know, I've been studying psychology for over 50 years. We, we could call it psychological science, dynamics. We could call it applied behavioral science. But anyway, the point is I've been studying it and I've decided that there are seven basic principles that the world needs to know, hmm. teach, and spread around. So the, the, the book you read was one that I developed for college students. I have another one for police officers and another one for school personnel and another one for safety professionals. Hmm. Same principles but all written slightly, quite differently in terms of applications, all customized to fit the audience. But that's just how, how convinced I am that these seven basic principles need to spread around the world and we need to apply them in our own way to make a difference. Interesting. So I, I, one of the things that caught my eye right off the bat was how you focus on a lot of positive consequences rather than negative consequences. Why do you believe that we are much more of a click-it-or-ticket society rather than, you know, rewarding the, the good behaviors around? Well, excellent question, and that's a powerful notion to realize that we need to use more positive consequences. I mean, research has, been shown, has shown us for almost 100 years that the best way to influence behavior and attitude at the same time, positive consequences. However... Click it or ticket, negative consequences, pass a law and enforce it is much more convenient. I mean, mm. you know, with, I just have to pass a law and I enforce it. And that's, that's really, unfortunately, um, our culture or our society. Um, one quick example. I worked for years to get people to wear safety belts with positive consequences. In our town of Blacksburg 30 years ago, when you went through a fast food restaurant, you got a bingo number if you were buckled up got a bingo card and you played huh. belts bingo huh. and then you when you when you won you cash it in for prizes donated by the community now it was a little extra effort to get the community to donate prizes and to set it up but we had the whole community we went from 
from 15% safety bell use to 60% safety bell use, and people were smiling about it. You know, it was fun. But all of a sudden, we have a law. And I'm not, I'm not demeaning laws. We, laws really define our, our culture and, and our values and, to an extent. But I think we overdo it with negative consequences. You know, you mentioned, I have a book for police officers. Well, police officers get a bad rap because they're seen as people who dole out negative consequences. Mm-hmm. We all know that police officers do far more than, than just dole out negative consequences. They, they help us. The community policing involves police officers interacting with the community in positive ways. Hmm. But again, the news media and our, our verbal behavior suggests that it's more negative consequences than positive consequences. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you brought up a great example there. That was very, you know, unique and creative of a way to come up with something that when people go through fast food restaurant drive-ins, they would be rewarded if they're wearing their seatbelts. It takes human behavior to a, a much more complicated level than are they wearing it or not? And if not, then you're going to get a ticket for it. We, we, had, we had our police officers during those saying this was in the 80s, police officers had a tape recorder in their pocket. Now, this is a little, little inconvenient, mm-hmm. and every time a police officer, while directing traffic, saw a driver buckled up, they said their license plate number into the tape recorder. And then at the end of the week, we, we made coupons. We made, we made um, tickets from each of those license plates. Now, in those days, we, only, we had less than 20% buckled up, so they weren't overwhelmed. Coupons. And then we had a raffle. Every week, the president of the university drew out 10 winners, and the media was looking on and to see if you won a prize. And the prizes were donated by the community. Meal for two, um, a movie, whatever. But the point is, we're doing it, we become success seekers. Hmm. You remember that in my book, with the difference between a success seeker and a failure avoider. And we know from research that success seekers are more likely to be self-motivated. They're more likely to go beyond the call of duty. If I'm just working to avoid failure, I'm just going to do enough so I don't get caught to avoid failure. Sure. Yeah, that's that's a great uh, that's a great way of looking at it differently. How do you say structure your classes in a way that people can become success seekers rather than failure avoiders? <laughs> that's a great question. In fact, the first day of class, I asked my class, I said, "How many are here to avoid failure?" I got 600 students in the class and most of them raise their hand. And I say, you know, I'm glad you're here. I mean, motivated. See, motivation is about consequences, working to gain or working to avoid an aversive consequence. And I say, I'm glad you're here, but I bet you told your friends I got to go to class. It's a requirement. Not I get to go to class. It's an opportunity. Mm -hmm. So again, it's your verbal behavior and it's the mindset. So of course, when I lecture to the class, I try to put things in terms of gaining stuff. We're here to learn. We're here to move forward. Um, but it's not easy because let's face it, we have grades and what's your attitude toward a grade? I try to tell the students exactly what they need to know on the tests. So there's no distress. Mm-hmm. It's only stress. That is, the, I, this is what I'm going to make the questions from. There'll be no surprises. And so in a sense, they should be success seekers because they know what's, what's coming. They're pre- they can be prepared if they, if they so choose to do so. But it's not easy because let's face it, anytime you keep a score on someone, their attitude could be working to avoid a low score or working to get a high score. By the way, you can watch teams compete. And I can almost tell when our basketball team, for example, 
has moved from success seekers to failure avoiders. I mean, when that momentum is going and they're moving, they're success seekers, man. But all of a sudden, if they start to get behind, they're just hope they're just hoping they don't lose by too much. So it, it, it's a diff, it's a different way of seeing it, but it's only a matter of your mindset. But sometimes we can set it up, and we're more looking to gain than trying to avoid failure. Is it as simple as um, breaking the person down to whether or not they're an optimist versus a pessimist, or is this more complicated than that? Well, it's a bit more compl complicated. By the way, optimist expects the best. Hmm. Now, there's another term that we, we kick around in psychology called hope. You're hopeful. Hmm. The difference between an optimist and a person who's hopeful is that the person who hopes something will happen will do all they know to do to make it happen instead of just sitting back and expecting the best. So in some ways, you know, they, yes, but the optimist is looking for the best and the, and the pessimist is um, hope I don't lose. Mm -hmm. So th that is a simple way to, to distinguish between a success seeker and a failure avoider. Notice, however, failure avoider, you're one step from failure acceptor. Hmm. And there are people who just, they accept the failure. And by the way, they actually feel better about it than the failure avoider. The failure avoider is stressed out. Or I might say distressed. The failure acceptor simply says, I can't do it. I give up and just sit back and, and move on. So it's from a psychological perspective, failure acceptor has some, some positive person's associated with it with this failure avoider they're always they're on they're on edge kind of work to avoid failure but again the failure avoider can be moved to a failure successor sometimes through just verbal language sometimes through setting up the situation so we're working to gain hmm. could you give me an example of how you would move say a failure avoider to a success seeker <laughs> well you might ask them what are you here for what do you want to get why you're here well I hope I don't fail. And, and you'd say, well, let's talk about the value of why you're here. By the way, purpose. If it's only about grades, maybe you will fall into this avoid failure. But if I can convince you that this job, this class, is more about more than getting a grade. You got two bricklayers, hmm. and, you, and you, they're on the job, and you say to one bricklayer, what are you doing? And you say, and I'm, I'm laying bricks. Well, that's the job. You say to the other guy, what are you doing? I'm building a community center. And so it's kind of that, that bigger picture. The word I've been using these days is systems thinking. Think of the bigger picture. And it's, you're not just laying bricks. You're, con you're contributing to a team that's going to build a community center. And sometimes that can get people thinking more like a success seeker. You know, It's not just about grades. It's about what are you going to do next? What's your vision? Can you, can you see that this class is actually teaching you material that you can use later on? Of course, I always try to convince the class that, that this is very important stuff for them to learn. Of course, it's easy for me because it's human dynamics. It's psychology. Mm -hmm. Psychology fits into about anything and everything that people do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love the idea of purpose because when you are trying to avoid failure, you're just thinking, you know, I just need to get this brick into the right place so that my box boss doesn't get mad at me. But if you're thinking about the community center from your analogy, then you are thinking about, okay, how can I lay this brick so that the people who use this community center in the future yeah. you know, will be able to enjoy everything about it once it's done? 
Oh, Colin, and what you just mentioned, you mentioned boss. How the <laughs> boss or how the supervisor interacts with that employee can make all the difference in the world. Does that supervisor always correct the person or does the supervisor help the individual feel competent at what they're doing? If the supervisor says, you know, I really like the way you did that. I mean, you have a skill that really fits in with our team. Now, when people feel competent at doing worthwhile work, they're more likely to be optimistic. They're more likely to be self-motivated. They're more likely to be happier on the job. Hmm. That, that brings up a point uh, that I remember later in your book. Um, it was basically the difference between leadership and management. In your, uh, in your mind, what is the difference between the two of those and where do you see them playing a role in, in the workplace? Wow, we need both. Sure. And to 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 say that leadership is a different it's a different animal. But here's the difference. Managers hold us accountable. Hmm. So in a sense, managers keep score. When we are held accountable, we're trying to please what our boss or our manager is telling us to do. Nothing wrong with that. I have people in my life that hold me accountable and I do things to meet their their desire, but a leader is different. Leaders inspire people to be self-accountable or mm. self-motivated. And I'm going to just let, see three words. What does that mean? It means a leader promotes the concept of perceived choice. Competence, I mentioned that earlier. Leaders help people believe they are competent at doing worthwhile work. Hmm. And the third C is community. When people believe, and we just use this with the, with the community center example, when people believe that they're working for others, that we're related to what other people are doing, that we're in this together, like as a systems thinker thinks, they, they, they feel more competent, they have more choice, they're more self-motivated. So that's what a leader needs to do. A leader promotes the idea of competence, Choice. Now, by the way, this, this is not just anybody's common sense. This is research. It might sound hmm. like common sense once I say it, but it's been, there's been lots of studies. The, the folks who have done the stuff on, on choice, they call it autonomy, but I like the word choice. It's easy to remember three C words. And they use competence, and then they use relatedness. Of course, and I like the C word of community. The bigger picture thinking. But anyway, this has been um, Ed DC and Richard Ryan, for example, have, have done a number of studies for years. So this has been known in psychology for a long time. But here's, what the, here's the problem. It doesn't get out to the real world. Hmm. Leaders don't learn it, you know. So that's why I'm pleased that I can talk to you. Maybe you'll just reach someone who'll say, hey, that's an interesting concept. I want to learn more. Sure, sure. So you would say that the primary goal of the leader is to in inspire people to become self-motivated themselves. Exactly. That's the, well, that's the difference between a leader and a manager. And I'm not saying that, a, you know, nothing wrong with a, with a manager, because managers, we're not always self-motivated. Mm -hmm. And it's not easy. It's not necessarily so easy to give, to spend the time with people to let them feel competent have choice. I mean, sometimes we're in situations we have no choice. We just have to do what the manager says. Mm -hmm. By the way, what a, what a great concept for parents to realize, you know, you can interact with your children and your kids in such a way that they feel a sense of choice. You got two, you got two 
clothes, you want them to dress up for church. And some parents will say, this is what you're going to wear for church. This is the way you dress up for church. But what about the parent who says, here are two outfits, choose one. Now, the parent has already decided that both outfits are appropriate, but gives the child the perception of choosing. And that's just one example. I mean, we've got some things to do around the house, and I need your help. What would you like to do first? Rather than saying, here's what we're going to do first. And again, it's this simple idea of the perception of choice. And we've known for years that when people feel a sense of choice, they're more motivated. Hmm. We could do the same thing with competence. Parents can help their kids feel specially competent. You know, wow, I really like the way you did that. Notice how this is using positive consequences to build a sense of competence. I like the way you do that. You know, wow, I couldn't do what you're doing that well when I was your age. All those things build a sense of competence and does wonders to self-motivation. Sure, I can imagine. And I would I would think that many managers, you know, that think that their role is to tell the kid, if you will, this is what you need to wear, or this is what you need yes. to do. These are the bricks you yes. need to lay. But it yeah. would be much better if you were to instead create that environment where the worker has the choice. Choice is still nested within an environment to where, you know, either outcome will lead to success. But this way, there's that choice aspect and the, the worker feels more involved in what he's doing. Oh, it's beautiful. But here's what happens. We're in this notion of efficient, hmm. get it done quickly. And so it's far more efficient to simply, here's what we have to do, folks. Let's do this. We got a problem. Here's my, here's my solution for this problem. Instead of, here's our problem. What are some possible solutions? See, that takes more time. Yeah. That takes more time, but you're more effective. So there's a difference between effectiveness and efficiency. And sometimes we're into this efficiency mode, get her done. It might work in the short run, but we might lose in the long run. Sure, sure. So moving off into a different area, um, one of the, the other things that you highlight in your book is the relationship between us as the public and with police officers. Uh, yeah. I'm curious about why you chose to highlight that profession as far as highlighting the differences between positive consequences and negative consequences and also media sensationalism. Well, yeah, when you think of a police officer, you're thinking of negative. You know, you're speeding along and, and you see a police car on the side and he's going to get you. So you, and all of a sudden, your, your emotions. So we're, our emotions, our negative thing is all about avoiding failure. But as I mentioned earlier, there is something called community policing, and mm. we need more of that. And now, as you know, because of some of these awful tragedies, now we have police officers in schools. We call them school resource, SRO, school resource officer. And mm. so we've replaced the school psychologist with a school resource officer. Well, if that resource officer acts like this, a negative person, um, it's, it's not going to have near the benefit than if they can be positive. If they can, a police officer can promote self-motivation. A police officer can be positive. Let me give you a quick example. We have a program called Actively Caring for People. Mm -hmm. We also have a program for Actively Caring for Policing. Actively Caring, and we have a website, Actively Caring Policing. And police officers in three communities so far, in three states, they wear a blue wristband. The blue wristband says Actively Caring for People. And when they see a behavior in a community that reflects pro-social 
or reflects actively caring, you know, going beyond the call of duty to help someone else. They take that, that wristband off their wrist and they give it to the citizen. And they say, thank you for actively caring. You're joining our movement. It's called the Actively Caring for People movement. Now, each wristband has its own identification number. So here's the rest of the story. You tell the citizen, please go to this website, activelycaringpolicing.org, and record our encounter. Record the number of your wristband and say something about what we just did, that I just rewarded you for this behavior. Put that on that on our website. And then if you see somebody else doing an act of kindness, take off that wristband and give it to them. Pass it on and tend to go to that website. And all of a sudden, you'll see your wristband that started right here travel from here to South Africa. And we've seen it happen. So this is, there is a worldwide movement started several years ago called Act Caring for People. And we've now a few years ago, extended into police departments. And that goes along with a book manual that we created to teach police officers the process. And more than just the process, what's the foundation? What's the research foundation behind the process? And of course, you read the one that we give out to students. Mm-hmm. And you, like, it's, not, it's not just telling people what to do. It's giving people the rationale behind it. Sure. Are the public able to interact with the police officers and tell them that they've been doing a good job as well? Because I've always I've always thought that they just have such a thankless job. You know, say what you will about police officers, but they're, they, nobody gives them any thanks for doing, you know, the job of keeping everybody safe. Oh, you're, you're, you know, you're so right, Colin, because what, what do we hear? We hear stories about police shootings and we hear all these negative things, but we don't hear the positive side. Yeah. When I talk to a group of students, I, if I had this not too long ago, I said, let's go around the room and tell me about your most recent experience with a police officer. Hmm. Everybody around that room had something, said something positive. Really? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, how a police officer helped her do this or found a phone number, did something to help people. But that's not how we typically see police officers, you know? And of course, it's a tough job yeah. if a police officer feels that he or she is always seen as negative, as catching people, failure avoiding, right? Always no, always noting the failure of a person, always giving corrective feedback instead of supportive feedback, man, that can wear on you. Yeah. And if, if when they turn on the, the TV, all they hear are these negative stories. So luckily they communicate among themselves and they know they do more, but that's why we have this actively caring for people policing because we want them to share their stories on the internet. And then, then one police department can, can look up, look up and see the variety of things that, that their colleagues have found on the positive side. Yeah, that's great. I can't imagine what it really is like to, you know, they, they have a, they have a tough job no matter what and to receive no thanks for that job. And like you said, come home after a stressful day of work and just see the fact that they're the bad guys, it would definitely create that tension of us versus them that is toxic. Oh, oh yeah. And you know, we need support from the community. We need to feel, again, remember the notion of community, the notion of relatedness. Mm -hmm. I need to believe that I'm appreciated. You know, being appreciated is such a powerful concept, you know, and we don't, we don't do enough of that. We're doing a study here on campus, for example. We're studying how many students 
when they cross on a pedestrian crosswalk, how many students thank the driver? Just lift up your hand and thank the driver because he or she is waiting, letting you cross in front of them. And it's less than 5%. I mean, why wow. we're studying ways to try to increase that. What if somebody else before you went across and, and modeled the behavior, observational learning, would that increase? And unfortunately, that didn't help. Now, we're, now they're holding up signs. They're holding up signs. <laughs> Thank the driver. But it's all about gratitude. Hmm. We don't display enough gratitude. Think about how more positive our culture might be if we just showed appreciation for, for what people do for each other. Hmm. Is that a cross-generational thing? Um, have you done any research on um, huh. you know, places outside of the school doing a thank you wave? Oh no, no! But you did you did remind me about our current ge- generation, because a lot of those students don't even look up from their cell phones. <laughs> They're walking around with this little. And by the way, I call it a Skinner box. B. F. Skinner was a guy who started experimental behavior analysis, and he had rats in a Skinner box pushing a lever and getting food pellets, and they would continue to do that. So that's what this. That's what these cell phones are, you know? I'm pushing buttons and I'm getting consequences. Everywhere I go, people aren't looking at each other anymore. They're looking at their cell phone. So a lot of the issues about not showing a thank you, they're not even thinking. They're into a selfie instead of a <laughs> helping. It's, we're, we're more individualistic now than we've, we've ever been. And that's unfortunate because with the tragedies, we just had this terrible thing. Yeah. Thank God. It's all about... If you see something, say something. But we're, we're not looking around to even see something anymore. <clears throat> so that's, I'm not saying that's, a, that's anything different with people. It's our culture. It's the way it is. We have this technology we carry around with us. And you ought to sit on this campus, students walking up and down steps. They're not using the, the handrail because they're messing with their cell phone going up and down stairs. And they're s- slowing up the people behind them because they are walking more cautiously so they can look at their cell phone while they walk. It, it's, <laughs> we, we need to teach some lessons on, on how to disconnect from this skitter box that we carry around with them. Sure, sure. That, that's why I was curious about the cross-generational thing, though. Because college kids are not the only ones with cell phones. So is it the fact that, you know, they grew up with cell phones and that's why they don't give the thank you wave? Or is it just today in our society... Everybody is not, you know, looking up from their cell phones in the same manner. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean that, that's a that's a great question. And by the way, some do, some do do a, do a thank you wave. And you know, I'm tempted. Should I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I will, I will roll down my window and I'll yell, "You're welcome." And I really <laughs> shouldn't do that because this is when I, here I'm sitting there and a line of students just walk, and I've stopped for them on our campus. I must say, we are very much an actively carrying campus because the cars do stop. But then why don't you thank us, man? You know, anyway, it's, it's, and I, I'm not saying it's, there's a, there's an age difference or a culture difference, but we do have this other little mechanism we carry around in our hands. We call it, by the way, those intrinsic consequences. When I say intrinsic consequences, I'm saying that the natural consequences, it's not inside you, it's a natural consequence that you receive for your behavior. And that can take you away from other stuff. So again, I'm pushing buttons, getting messages, and it's, it's, it's natural consequences. And it's, it's tough 
to beat that soon. It's immediate. It's immediate. It's it's positive. Gotcha. Uh, so one of the things that I would love to build on this with is the, your idea of empathetic listening. When I think about empathy, I mostly think about how I'm relating to others, not necessarily how I'm listening to others. Where did you come up with that idea? Oh, uh, well, you know, this gets right back to our cell phone yeah. issue. Because we, we are so into the high-tech communication that we think that I've communicated. I've sent an email, I've sent a text message, you know, and we think that's, that's communication. And it is at one level, very efficient notice. It's very efficient communication, mm-hmm. but not necessarily as effective as it could be when you really try to connect to another person. You can't do that through a cell phone. You have to watch their body language. You have to note the tone of their voice. Um, by the way, we've, we've talked for years about something called the the, the golden rule, right? Treat others the way you want to be treated. With empathy, we realize it's the platinum rule. Treat others the way they want to be treated. They might not want to be treated the way you want to be treated. So again, through empathy, you might find out how do they want to be treated. I want to show my approval for what you did for the group. Would you mind me... Um, um, saying some nice words to you in front of the group. Some people might not want that. They'll feel embarrassed. They'll feel they'll get teased back at the workplace. Um, so they would prefer, no, um, how about just one-to-one in your office sometime? You know, and the bottom line is, don't assume, you know, there's, you know, there's no notion that reprimand privately and recognize publicly. Mm-hmm. Well, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Some people don't want to be recognized publicly. So, it takes empathic listening. It takes asking questions. You know, we've, we've started something several years ago. It's called behavior-based safety. And it's, it's, it's essentially coaching each other in the workplace. And it could, it could go to other situations too. But it's kind of like what behaviors are safe and what behaviors are risky on this job. And we watch each other. And after we watch this other person, our peer, we give them feedback. We talk to them. Now, supportive feedback means I'm going to tell you what I saw that I really liked. But what about corrective feedback? You saw something that was risky. Mm-hmm. How do you tell them that? Do you say, you were at risk, you're about to change your behavior? Well, that's, that gets back to the notion of choice. You know, No, you need to be non-directive. Hmm. You need to be empathic. You need to ask more questions. You say, hey, and I noticed... I noticed you were doing it this way. Is, it, is there a safer way? Or why do you do it that way? Why do you do the job in this particular way? In other words, try to find out the other person's perspective. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point as far as uh, your communication with another person being on their terms. Like, for example, yeah. one of the best uh, lessons I learned was how to talk to extrovert, extroverts correctly. Because I'm very much an introvert, and so I relate to others by asking them questions. And I learned that extroverts uh, relate to others by, I'm going to tell you a story about me and expect you to tell you or tell me a story about you. (laughs) And so I learned how to, if I were to um, treat them the way that I wanted to be treated, I would only just keep on asking them questions and the, the conversation would get very stale because I didn't say anything about myself. If I were to treat them on the way they want to be treated, we could have a much better dialogue because then we would both be talking the same language. 
By the, and yes, exactly, Colin. But notice how you, you just made a generalization about extroverts versus introverts, which is, which is not wrong. People make it, but, but you know, I, I'm, I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert. Um, but in some situations, um, I'm more outgoing. But other situations, I'm just the opposite. So it's kind of like we are different. Mm-hmm. And through empathic listening, we can find out where this person is coming from. And then here's the critical point. We can then customize our message to them to make it most appreciated. And that's such, if we take the extra time to find out their perspective, and then we have the skill to use that in our message to them, we're going to get our message across in a memorable way. Sure, absolutely. And also their message back to us in a more useful way as well. Absolutely. But, but, but guess what? That's not efficient. <laughs> That's not efficient. It takes a little more time, man. Sure, but, sure. You know, but it's, it's effective. Yeah, absolutely. Effective. Um, so one, one more thing I want to go over with you before we uh, close today. You were obviously witness to a terrible shooting at Virginia Tech uh, about a decade ago. And with the recent shooting in Florida, I would love to know your whole take on this situation and what we can do as a society to put it, put an end or at least calm this type of, you know, these tragedies down. Wow. Big question. Such an important question. Yeah. Let me first say, aren't we proud of those kids in Florida? I don't know if you saw the CNN special um, last night where they had an open discussion and these high school kids got up and explained what needs to be done. Hmm. Us adults, us politicians, those politicians, they should be embarrassed. But we understand their situation. They've been, they've been paid off by NRA or paid off by some. So they're, they're trying to please another group where these kids are trying to just save lives. They don't want to go into school feeling nervous and fearful. And now I'm told that one suggestion, in fact, coming from our president, was that we should arm teachers with guns. Wow. I mean, so let me back up. Not, not to criticize anybody, but we need to become systems thinkers. Hmm systems thinkers. There's not just one way to fix this serious issue. We need to look at the system. By the way, we have the same perspective in safety. You just can't change someone's behavior. You need to look at the system. So let's look at the system. You know, we we said earlier, the school psychologist, if there had been a school psychologist, or if that individual, the alleged shooter, had had some therapy or had been observed by a school psychologist, maybe something could have been done. That's, that's one part of the system. The other part of the system, of course, is assault weapons. I mean, when are we going to realize we, who needs assault weapons? I talk with the hunters, by the way, in my community, and they say, if a hunter needs an assault weapon to do their hunting, they shouldn't be hunting. <laughs> if you can't, with your rifle and your scope, if you can't animal in one or two shots, you better give it up. So they don't, my, my colleagues in, in rural Newport, Virginia, they don't want 
assault weapons out there either. I don't know where that attitude is, you know, that we have to allow for these assault weapons. So again, that's just part of the system, though. That's not everything. But we, we have to look at the bigger picture. And we have to figure out what's going on. By the way, let's take let's take the shooter, the alleged shooter. He was he was bullied. That's part of the system, too. He was bullied. And then he was in some fights, and what did they do? They kicked him out of school. Well, I don't know that they didn't have some therapy. I haven't heard about the therapy that follows, but you don't just, and they call that discipline, by the way. That is shameful. It's not discipline. You, it's, it's a punishment. Discipline comes from the Latin root to teach, to teach. Did they have corrective action? Did they send this individual for some therapy? Did they deal with his anger management? Did they try to figure out why are, is he, are he, he's in these fights? Now, by the way, this is back to our discussion of empathy. This is about finding out what's going on. We know he lost his mom. Well, did he have, did he have people to connect to? The shooter at Virginia Tech 11 years ago. That shooter, he was bullied all through middle school elementary school. He didn't speak good English, so they picked on him. When he came to Virginia Tech, he had no friends. He went to class wearing sunglasses and a baseball cap. And when the teacher tried to get the students to interact, he didn't say anything. His sweet mates, the people he lived with, they never talked to him. Let's get back to what we talked earlier, how important it is to have a social support system, to have people to connect to, but we're not going to connect the people in a selfie, a self, a self, yeah, selfie generation. If we're only looking up to ourselves and not looking to others. It ain't going to happen. We're calling it actively caring for people. We need a culture where people will look out for each other. Check out our website, activelycaringpeople.org. And we are, we've got books, we've got, we even have a theme song. We have a theme song on this notion of people need to become agents of pro-social behavior, meaning they need to actively care for each other. And there are ways to do that. I mean, I'm just, I'm not just throwing out a slogan. There are the principles and you read, you read some of those principles in that book. If we followed those seven principles in that book that you read, Colin, we would we would we could at least teach um, actively caring. Sure. Uh, just to just to break down uh, your statement there just a little bit. I would imagine that you know since your day when you were in college and everything, you know bullying has always been around, and so oh, and yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that the levels of bullying have probably only gone down over the years, as well as the level of therapy going up. You know, clearly there's there's something else going on here. No. Well, I think I, I think we have a, a culture, starting with the White House, really. That's that's simply not empathic. I mean, it's it's bullying. And any any of your leaders do they see that we have really a a, a well politics sounds like bullying to me. I mean, they, they they don't they don't come together and they don't solve problems. And thank thank for these kids in Florida, they understand it. And they're going to have a march, and they're going. Hopefully, they get people talking. I don't know that it will work unless we can just put aside our biases. We call it, by the way, you heard this word, confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. We hear what we want to hear. What comes in that we don't want to hear, we just reject. We listen to one TV station if we're 
a Democrat. We listen to the other TV, TV station. If we're a Republican, I mean, it's, it's truly amazing. It is confirmation bias. If we cannot put aside those biases, we're not going to make the change we need. I'm hoping that these kids are teaching us because they don't have those biases yet, you know? They're mm-hmm. just dealing with the, with the raw facts. They're, failing, they're facing the brutal facts, and they're trying to get adults to wake up. I hope we can do that. I mean, I, but I hope, again, I'm, I'm being redundant. I want us to become systems thinkers. It's not just one thing that's going to change. It's a much bigger picture. Like, you know, the favorite, those who, who don't want to change the guns out there, they simply say, we need to be, have better checks. We need to, and we, it, but that's just one piece of it, man. It's got to be yeah. bigger. You know, um, you know um, Australia hasn't had a shooting since they had a shooting many, many years ago. They banned guns, period. Now, we're not saying banned guns. I think that's what people are afraid of, that if we ban assault weapons, then it's, they're just going to move along and soon I won't be have, able to have my rifle. And that's, that's just not the case. We just have to be, we have to be, you know what? We have to be more actively caring. I, I was going to say, like, the, this is kind of a good example of what are some positive things that we can do? Like getting rid of assault rifles, you know, obviously it's probably the best thing to do, but... Um, that is a click it or ticket strategy. What is a strategy that we can employ from a systems perspective that will reinforce the positive consequences that we want to see? Oh, beautiful. If you see something, say something, Hmm. you know, if you can, I think it takes some, some training though. I think people have to know what to look for. And, and, and by the way, friendship, friendship. And and I, I know that's, that's, People have their own little friendship groups on their cell phones these days. There's less friendship with the people around me. I mean, I see it on this campus. People are sitting on the floor or in the cl- doing their own looking. They're not interacting nearly as much with other people. They're interacting with people on their cell phones, but not with other people. And so how am I going to see something? How am I, what am I going to see in terms, in terms of my immediate environment that I should pay attention to? So, yeah, and I think we, we need to, you're right about bullying. We need to stop picking on people. We need to become more open. People just get picked on for their appearance, for their sexual preference. For, it's just, it's so sad. It's so sad. That's why I think, this is my bias, of course, psychology or the notion of basic human dynamics. We teach in psychology why we have these biases and how to overcome these biases and so on and so forth. So I think some basic education about human dynamics could be very useful. Absolutely. Uh, I could honestly talk to you about this subject forever. Uh, I don't, I want to be respectful of your time. I thank you so much for talking with me today, Dr. Geller. And is there anything you would like to say before you sign off today? Well, only that, Colin. I appreciate what you're doing. Listen, we can have all the knowledge, and this is research-based knowledge Mm -hmm. in our little ivory tower at the university, but it goes nowhere unless it gets out to the public, and that's what you're doing. And and near the, I'm 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 nearing the end of my my career and probably the end of my life, but before I leave this earth, I want to believe that I've made a difference 
And I can't make a difference just writing academic articles and academic books. I need to get books and principles out there to the real world. That's how we make a difference. And, and I'm grateful for you and, and what you do with your organization to, to teach the public some of the stuff that they need to pay attention to, to make this world a better place. We're all in this together, man. If we just got that basic principle, we're in this together and we need to help each other. Absolutely. And I'm just so grateful on your end, too, that uh, we can work together and we can get this, the, all the great knowledge that you've acquired over the years out there. Thank you, my friend. Thank you very much for listening to my conversation with Scott Geller. If you're looking for more resources on how you can take action and actively care for people in the ways that Scott and I went over in our conversation today, you can go to ac4p.org, or you can check out his TED Talk titled The Psychology of Self-Motivation, and of course, you can try out his program Set Smarts Goals. That's it for today, and I will see you all next week.